Can I ask you guys what you think about actually like videoing in like Discord server or I okay or I don't I'm not 100 percent sure what Discord is. Is oh, it oh, is it a Twitter? Oh, Terry. I don't oh, Terry. Is no, it come on. A... Yeah, no. So Discord is a uh, basically it's a program that is a chat and compiling program. Um, you can screen share. You can. Uh, every one webcam in on the same channel. Is that what you it could is? voice chat, you could t- text, you could use it as a database storage device for campaign notes and stuff like that as well. Like, like, is it specifically for, like, I've just been pretending to understand what Discord is for like two months now. I'm going, people are like, look it, at Discord. I'm like, thing. yeah, yeah, cool. It, it's the new thing. It is, is it, it is specific for, like, designed for games? Uh, it is, uh, t- it's not designed for games, it's just designed uh, for kind of everything, but there's a, a tilt to it like they definitely know that their major user base is going to be gamers and so they've tilted toward it mm. it's um, really media sharing yeah, but, yeah, media but sharing, not yeah. necessarily like dropping videos in but like right you can have you can have meetings yeah over it i, I know it, it's it's like a conference call system mixed with a voice chat uh software mixed with uh msn messenger mixed with Google Drive. Google like Drive mixed oh, with oh, Facebook it's like Messenger. a Google Drive type thing. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. pretty useful, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be the next thing. I know that there are a lot of little like .com startups and whatnot that are running with it. Yeah. Um, that Or they've got people in different cities that are working together through online means and, and like logging into the server. And they have like the daily check-in. Mm-hmm. They do it through a Discord server. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because all of the info can be there. If you, don't, if you don't have a legit office to work out of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for the purposes of this, Discord actually works great for D and D. Yeah. Well, I've for D and D and for this, right? Like, you can either all webcam in in a conference call and just play online, which we've done before, Adam. Like, we've I we've, hated that. It wasn't Discord though. Like, we it, were using what it, were we using? It was Skype? like ten years ago. Though. I know. Like what 10, was it? Twelve years was ago, it, we were doing this. It was Messenger. It was uh, terrible. No, we were using Skype. We were using old Skype to do it. Discord is infinitely better. Um, I think I tried using Google Hangout once for that type of thing. People would drop. You were the other person on on Google Hangout. There wasn't supposed to be no. There's (laughs) IT people using Roll Twenty. What the hell are you talking about? Roll (laughs) Twenty used Google Hangout as kind of their backbone. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I tried Roll Twenty, and it just didn't work for my style. We used Roll Twenty for ages in my other group, and it worked great. Like when when my daughters were first born. I couldn't leave the house as often, so we would put me into the Roll20 server, and the DM would just use the Roll20 battle map on a projector against the wall oh, yeah, yeah. as the main battle map. All right, this, this, is, this is fascinating, and I love telling all the flashback stories of this, but let's... Let's actually talk about the beginning of D&D campaigns. Sure. Can we, can we do that? Sure. Yeah, yes. that works. All right. Shall we do the music? Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast. Uh, we're doing episode 12, World Building, where we're looking at uh, the beginning of creating a campaign. Uh, I am Adam, and I'm here with these two hound dogs. We've got uh, the, 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 oh, the no. Russell Terrier and the Cocker Daniel. I'm killing it. What? This is fantastic. Oh, to be Russell Terrier? Yeah. At least you're not Cocker Daniel. <laughs> that's better. I feel like that's better. How is that in any world better? Because you're, you're a bigger dog than me. You'd be more physically imposing. 
Like, this is my belief in dogs. Break, break down the syllables there, Terry, and say that you appreciate it. This break is, them down. I know, I get it. This is my belief in dogs. If they can't survive on their own, then they shouldn't be here. And I don't no, believe you're, that the You've just angered half the internet. Anything, okay, so. anything smaller than knee height is a, is a cat. <laughs> right. And so, thus has no purpose. So, uh, world building. You guys have just pissed off everyone on the internet. I love all furry babies. Can we call it that? Sure. Sure, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, because your sincerity was bleeding through <laughs> yeah. the mic there. Um, let's talk about world building, um, but before we do, let's roll initiative to see who's going to talk first uh, before I open it up to the first I'm feeling good. Topic. Feeling good? Uh, well, I'm talking first well, by a lens. Oh, we're rolling up. Yeah, Terry and I are rolling up, but I'm rolling a d12 today just to prove that my dice are still... Oh! to it is. So, so... He rolled lower than me on the first roll, but no, I go second. You so go he first. goes, yeah, yeah, but it's a natural twenty. Yeah, but I'm Doesn't rolling up against him. Okay, fine, fine, grab it. First day, Dan. Kind of, maybe. Oh, I don't know. All right, <laughs> so I, so I want to talk about world building. How do you start it? When you are building a campaign, do you look at it from the like, the top down or the bottom up? So hold on before you say anything because you're already excited about it. Just to, <laughs> I'm so excited. Just to explain to everybody at home what this what I'm talking about here, what this is is when you are creating your campaign. From your your very first notes when you're doing it, are you talking about <laughs> notes? Yes, we all know that you are bad at prepping, and so you don't <laughs> do it. But for everyone else at home, when we're talking about the top down or bottom up methods, we're talking about do you go grand scale, big picture, and work your way down from continent to country to to state to region to city to building. Right. Is, is that the way that you're doing this? Or do you start in a building and worry about all that other shit later? Right. Do you talk about, um, when you're introducing your campaign, do you talk about, hey, we're going to do a great big expansive thing with these gods over here and, and the emperor is doing this and you have this huge idea in your head? Or do you say, let's start off as level one characters in a farm village with... Uh, yeah. Yeah. With a princess that's gone missing, or and and we're gonna step up to the challenge, right? So, how do you go about building this from the ground up? So, Dan, you rolled dice. So. so, the first thing I do before I do any sort of world building, before I do any sort of world prep, before I do anything else like that, I sit my players down during session zero and I kind of figure out what we want to do. Like, uh, if I have a bunch of people that are wanting to run an urban campaign, I'm I'm wasting my time. If I'm planning that farm village in the middle of nowhere, right? So I want to figure that out first. Right, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, in, in a little bit. But we're going to talk about that later. But I just wanted to get that out. Like, feel where they're going first. Once you know, personally, I go, I go top down. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll know I want my party to start in a simple village of some sort. So I go, where is this village? So I will go online. I will find my map of the like large continental map. And then I will find the spot that's gonna hit all of the little points I know I'm gonna wanna hit on that map. And I'll zoom into that point. And if there's a big city nearby, I'll be like, okay, cool. I wanna make sure that there's a big city for the party to go to nearby. And then I will make my city there. And I'll be like, okay, small, small uh, lumber village. And then I will go to an image provider service of some kind and look up like Dungeons and Dragons small town map and I will scroll through until I see something that I like and go <laughs> that one and then I will assign all of the numbers that are on there from whatever that village came from originally 
to my own things, and I will build my town up from there. Right. Okay. So, what are the pros and cons then of going from or top down? Um, you get a better vision of what the world is when you're going toward when you go top down. When you build it from the ground up, you are. I feel you're more restrained um, to make up or, or or find those sources after the fact. To build into it, like if your party wants something different after the fact, whereas are you saying that that, that that prep work is important, Dan? Is that what you're saying right well, now? Well, it still was. It I know I've been quite surprised. It still was the laziest prep ever because this is what I heard Dan went. I start with somebody else's map and then I shrink down and I take somebody else's smaller map and then I steal another image and then I take somebody else's village map, which is great. It's the Precisely. lazy DIY. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> right, right. And then it just gives but you an idea of like what's around. I'm, so I'm if, not just talking geography though. I'm talking about conflicts and bad guys oh, and all the pandemic. I, I I use the base wizard, like the base Wizards of the Coast, Forgotten Realms Pantheon base, because they're the ones I know the best, so we're going with those. Mm-hmm. I don't really put, like, external world conflicts in my game when I first start building the uh, the campaign world, the, like, the, the um, Petri dish that my party's in. I don't really put a lot of external conflicts. They have their current conflicts. So, so from... From a campaign building scenario, correct me if I'm wrong on this, you're saying that you go from big picture and you zoom in to small picture yeah. as far as the um, the geography aspect. The geography goes, But yeah. when it comes to the actual campaign plan, whatever it is that you come up with when you're sitting on the toilet because you don't actually prep like a normal person. <laughs> oh, I so, wait until the, the players ask me questions. Right. But what, what I'm saying then is that you... St- Why are the players asking you questions when you're on the toilet, Dan? That's weird. <laughs> so, so anyway, when when you're actually prepping the campaign, you actually start from the, from the ground and you build outward. I start from the players and I build outward. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so like, I want to make sure that the players are... But you want to have the infrastructure of the geography there so you know where you're building outward. Exactly. Outward yeah, yeah. So I know where I'm building outward to. Uh, uh, case in point, my the clear-cut group, we shouted them out a while ago. Uh, the Clear Cut Group, which is the group I run, they are situated just the south of the High Forest, uh, right outside of Waterdeep in um, the Forgotten Realms. Like, I know, High Forest, big, big, powerful uh, group of elves that re- reside there. I know that from the lore, and I could guess it because it's a big, smegan forest. Um, so I know there are, there's a, a half, el- there's an elven... Uh, character in our group and I'm like okay you come from this group and you've come down so I know that's there and if he wants to throw in some conflict with his backstory it'd be like well I'll start filling in the blanks for him in that way um, but yeah mostly I get my geography and an idea of where things are and then I zoom in and then from there I build out as the players need kind of like on Google Earth where it's more you get more detail the closer you are and then it just becomes very general as you sort of zoom. Google yeah. is a yeah. small dot com startup company you may have heard of yes but okay. as you, as you I wonder if they're on a Discord server <laughs> they may be, they, maybe they are maybe, I think there's a Kickstarter I think they own Discord. but as you zoom out like even the roads eventually start to disappear and then yeah. it just says like 
Alberta or something. Alberta yeah. is a place in Canada uh, <laughs> for our American audience. <laughs> but not an important place, so just keep moving. It's very cool. At least cold. the hockey teams aren't. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that my turn? Am I, going I think that means you, yeah. Okay, Adam's left, so it's just me and Dan now talking about how Adam's wrong in all the different ways. Uh, oh, this could take a, a while. Conversation. <laughs> short conversation. Dan, I'm, I'm very similar t- to you in how I would do it. I would I kind of think of my DM prep as kind of like the difference between climate and weather. Like, I need to understand the climate as in typical climate in the world, but I also need to understand that zoomed out version of the world, where everything is, where the mountain ranges are, where the forests are. I don't need to know them in details, but I just need to know the general climate of what is happening in the world. So I have general answers for people as these things come up, but I'll start in a very concentrated environment within one town with lots of different events and plot hooks and things going on yeah. there. But if, if if players and characters do have questions related to other areas in the world as it comes up, I'll have a basic understanding of what's going on. And then deciding on uh, based on where they decide to go, I'll then detail again in that area and concentrate exactly, yeah. in that area. Yeah. Uh, but you were talking about homebrew campaigns, and I kind of want to touch on very quickly the published modules and how I do it with that. Oh, yeah. For, because for they sure. can be very confusing if you're new to them. There's all of this information, and lots of times the um, wizards try to make them very sandboxy in that you're not railroaded in where you go. So there's all these different places. It can be confusing on how to do it. Specifically, Curse of Strahd is by far the most yeah, that's a great example. Disorganized. Yeah, I, I would almost even say uh, Tomb of Annihilation is up there as well. Yeah, because there are things going on all over the island of Chult. All over, and and if you're new to to D anD D, you're thinking, where do we go? What am I supposed to do? So that's the way I I handle those published modules as well. Is I get a general idea of the climate of what's going on in the world. So wherever the players decide to go, it's easier for me to get that more concentrated. Do you read the whole up. module first though? I, I will read the module once through. I won't go through the magnifying glass and, and try and remember all these details. I don't need to know um, all the details about the NPCs on the other side of the maps, but I need to know the key people who are there and if they're going to affect things where we are right now. I was going to say, that's one of the big criticisms of, of the modules uh, that Wizards have has released, especially the early stuff, the mm-hmm. uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen and, and that kind of stuff. The big criticism is the fact that you don't know who the big bad guy is for the first few sessions. Right. You don't know what the overarching... Um, plot line is you can't and it's really hard if you as a DM want to be able to drop a I don't know why my voice is cracking tonight um, <laughs> I waited <laughs> waited until Terry was drinking damn, damn these ridiculously light sweatpants <laughs> oh god yeah we're nerds I, we I wear, can see we wear, Daniel. we wear sweatpants okay <laughs> I hear what you're saying, and yes, Dan's gone. This is a serious company. I I quit my job to do this podcast, you guys, and I need all three of these listeners to be engaged. I hear what you're saying, and yes, as a as a player, I you don't necessarily need to know who the big bad is straight away, but as a DM, you need that information, I think, because you need to know where you're going with this. Well, it can't be a surprise for you. And and, and before my voice cracked, and we've gone totally off the rails on that, I I think it's so important to. Um, as a DM, for me anyway, I want to be able to drop little hints of what's coming 20 sessions from now. Right. Even if it's just rumblings in the background, right? If you're running Storm King's Thunder, you need to start talking about the ordering as early as possible for yep. people, right? And a lot of the times when you when you pick up the beginning of the module, um, you you don't have that information. As a DM, you don't have it. 
And as I mean, it can be tedious to read through the whole thing, but by God, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. See, I, I remember back in the day when uh, you were basing your... They released the Adventure Paths on the Dungeon Magazine yeah, yeah. that came out monthly. Also Dragon Magazine. Also Dragon Magazine. But Dragon was like a DM supplement. Yeah, yeah. Dungeon was specifically modules and stuff like that and player supplement. And yep, yep, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that and how fantastic it was later. But what they would do is I remember them releasing... Um, releasing their modules and you would get the one the one month and if you were trying to stay on like if you were trying to stay up to date and experience the new wave of everything you had no idea what was going on in that campaign um because the next module wasn't out yet and the module after that wasn't out yet and Mm -hmm. the the conclusion module wasn't out yet yeah so like you had no clue where you're going so like we were making decisions that we had to be like so guys we gotta retcon this because that person's incredible. Because that important. wild decision uh, is just not going to work for where uh, the, yeah. the magazine like, thought the campaign. Oh, oh my god! Go. Someone married the princess in, in level two, and now <laughs> we have to go rescue her. And... Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it almost exactly that. There was uh, in one of them. There was this uh, uh, clerical character that one of our like our monk... a clerical. No, no, a clerical character. Not okay. like she wasn't a cleric. Okay. She was just religious. No, um, that was a clerical error on your part. Almost, yeah. almost, yeah. An, almost a nun type character. I'm just gonna steamroll through this. Holy crap! Um, the monk. <laughs> steamroll like denied. Why are we like this? <laughs> Damn it! It's not why are we like this. Why is Adam like this? Go. Anyways, go. So we had a character who uh, wanted to target this. M- none character is a romantic interest and we're like yeah sure that's okay, what fine. is wrong okay never mind keep no, no. going yeah so yeah anyways so uh he <laughs> we worked in this intricate love story and he pulled her away from the church to be part of this thing and and it was this great uh grandiose story and we didn't have any we all we had was her name and her role in the church we find out like four modules later that she's actually like in her 90s Human, like this old, like matron. Was the player of, cross? Love it. Uh, pardon? Was the player cross? Oh, I hate you so much. Uh, <laughs> yes, he was. And like, I was like, yeah. So she's actually ninety something. And he's like, no, she's in her late thirties because you said late thirties. Th- th- this is why you have such thing as junior and senior that you scribble on the. This this is why when you're re- when you're releasing modules in this way, you let players know the age and physical appearance of important NPCs. I think for these modules, because yeah, at this at the beginning of the module, you get you typically get an overview of what's happening in the world right now generally. Yeah. But I think you we need an additional DM's note of hey, this is kind of the long term plan of where this module is going to go. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's sandboxing; we can kind of go where wherever we want to go. But the the climate of the world is we're shifting towards this, so be prepared for this. Spoiler alert, Tiamat is going to be yeah. involved at the end. Yeah, that, you know? that's, that's really useful information to have. Like, for example, when you're playing, when you pick up Out of the Abyss for the first time, whatnot, and you realize you're not meeting demons for a while, mm-hmm. you're starting in the Underdark of all places, mm-hmm. right? Like, that can be shocking to people. You pick up the demon campaign so that we have so far. and I you, think people just look at it, Out of the Abyss and they, they go, oh, well, that means the Abyss, that means demons. Yeah. And they make that association. <laughs> and I I don't think that's just a correct like you're just try, you're literally judging a book by its cover when well, you pick yeah, it up. Also, right, right, right. If you're reading Tyranny of Dragons, you would assume. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. I mean, it's... But Abyss is a more general word. Like if the if there's dragons in the title, you're gonna Well, I even Dragon Heist. Dragon Heist isn't really about dragons. It's no. because the gold pieces are called dragons. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying, is yeah. is you they're like 
Yes, I know that it's called Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I didn't realize the first time that I held it in my hands that this was level 5 to level 20 mega dungeon underneath Waterdeep. Like, oh, oh shit, oh, we're doing this. All right, cool, I'm in. I thought it was a, well, first you have to get to the dungeon. I thought it was another one of these uh, Tomb of Annihilation style stories, yeah. right? Until I flipped it open and read through it. And I mean, that one's pretty easy to understand immediately off the bat. But like what you're talking about, Terry, if you don't know, you have to read ahead. Yeah. So how much prep is too much prep then for, for session one? Mm-hmm. I, I'm asking you specifically. Oh, you're asking me to, specific. Yeah. I think, uh, so the what I would say I'm like a middle prepper. And like I said earlier, I just need to know the general climate of where we're going. And then I will prep, not overly, I tend to prep by my NPCs. What are the NPCs I have in the area? What are their motivations related to the climate of the world? What are their fears? What are their goals? So that it keeps me flexible Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make me rely on railroading the characters in any way. Um, Because I think if you prep too much, it makes you, if you're not comfortable with doing that, you very much are. You are able to stay flexible. If you prep too much but you're newer to it, you're not flexible. And so you run the risk of railroading them. That's actually also my fear though if you prep too little. Because you can get that wild card, and you will get that wild card thrown at you. And if you prep too little, and you're not as experienced as Dan, it's going to set you off. Like when someone accidentally summons a, a Baylor demon into your campaign, for and example. One of your- oh, you're talking about when the party is level five, and somebody accidentally summons a Baylor uh, demon. Exactly. Was That's it accidental? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, off, it was off a random table. It was completely accidental. But that was me as a new DM as well, experimenting with this what seemed very entertaining magic item that I'd never used before, and I was new to D&D. That was the deck of many things, Daniel. Yeah, oh, we, Terry. Yeah, you know that, 25 <laughs> years in, and I know that now four and a half years in, but at the time, <laughs> I wasn't aware. And I was like, oh my goodness, I found this on the internet. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. What was that you summoned? I don't know where that is in it. Oh... How do oh, we do this? Oh, no. C- CR18. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. But we made it work. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with my answer before we move on to the next topic. Um, <laughs> and I do um, the exact opposite. Strangely enough, I go uh, from... the Everybody always assumes, because I come to the table with a giant world map and a pantheon and a Bible that I have written, an 80-page Bible ready to go, <laughs> that, that I've built from the top down, and I really haven't. You built from the ground up? I built from that the ground up. That surprises me. Yeah, so it surprises a lot of people that when I say that um, I know who the bad guy is, and I mean I know who the big bad guy is, and I know their top two tactics, and I know this one small town. When uh, And then I say, okay, how are these tactics affecting this town? And I build from there. Um, the current campaign, or sorry, not the current one, but the previous one that we that we did, um, takes place in the same world, so it's, sometimes I call it the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on pause. We're hoping to get back to it. Yeah, but it started off, the very first thing that you guys did was you showed up, you fell out of a portal into this small walled village that was uh, under siege by orcs, and there were like 17 or 18 survivors that were left inside, and they were like Fletcher's and Shopkeep's daughters and just... Like useless characters mm-hmm. um, with no supplies and the town is running out of food. And, and I went, okay, so I, what I wanted to do is look at a apocalypse level, like zombie apocalypse level problem in a world where the apocalypse isn't happening. They're just under siege. They're just like, we're running out of food. At what point do we end up going on to cannibalism? Uh, how many people have turned to the church uh, and are becoming zealots as a result of this? And I planned all of this stuff out. But I planned the NPCs, and I planned the players more than I planned the world itself. Mm. So for me, it's all about people 
and interactions, especially when I'm going to... The very first thing you do is you get dropped in a, a town. Nine times out of ten, you start in a town. Yeah. So who are the people in that town? Because you're not going to remember the specifics of the layout of the general store, but you may remember the gnome behind the counter that's screaming at you and swearing in gnomish, right? Like, it's more important to have that base, than for me anyway, than it is to have the, the layout of the buildings. And then my process is I sit down and I do what maps will we get through, how many counters will we do in the span of a session, what maps will we get through, and while I'm drawing the maps... I'm coming up with the bad guys, what the stat blocks are, how they're going to use the environment. My, all my prep work is done while I'm sitting over top of this grid. So for me, it is all about the building the NPCs and kind of knowing the general broad strokes of the politics or the religion, but really the, the general broad strokes. I didn't know what the names of the gods were until I sat down to write the Pantheon like seven or eight sessions in. Um, at that point... I needed to know what the goddess of death's name was. And so I went and I started doing research on old voodoo gods and African gods and, um, and Native American gods because I wanted really like natural sounding names. Um, your, I just want to say this real quick. The way you've done your pantheon as well uh, is, is it's bizarre for me with my 25 years experience brain going, oh, there's no real god of war. No. It's like... yeah. It's, it's like it's gods uh, of strange things. It's death, yeah. but then it's also dreams. But we haven't but, come across but it, gods and of the love very, or something. Like sometimes, like they're not even like that one thing. They're like weird existential concepts. Well, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I started with the creation myth because in the beginning there was light, so I need a god of light, and then I need this opposite. I need the god of, of darkness. Now the god of light is also going to be the god of knowledge. And they're also going to be the, the god of discovery. And the god of darkness is going to be a god of rest. And it's going to be a god of peace. And so I, I, I look at it from what things do I associate, what positive things do I associate with it. The god of water is a god of change. Whereas yeah. the god of earth uh, is the god of strength. And so there's no god of the hunt. There's no, there's no god of the... Uh, you've, uh, gone, you've gone more uh, Native American, African with it than like the traditional Roman... Greek where there's style. A, there's a god or a goddess of everything. Yeah, yeah, because those things were all because these are the creation gods that exist be above cord and and they created. They, they never get into where do the gods come from in D and D, right? They just are, or they procreate amongst themselves, and then they make a new god. Where did the first god come from? I wanted to answer that. I've just been playing long enough. I'm like, who made Heronius? So well, the original gods did. And so all, like, Zeus is a god in my pantheon, and Aronius and Kord, and, like, they all are. But then there's the upper echelon of gods, the creation gods, mm -hmm. that came up with the concepts. And it took them a while. Like, the, the book itself is about um, them discovering the concept of change and evolution and time passing. Because at first, they don't understand that. Because they hadn't invented time yet. Which is why there's no god of time. All the gods got together and said, now we're going to make... Time. That's good. It's like it's very raw, and it's like the yeah. gods are learning themselves but, about concepts that work. Yeah, yeah, and so and and there are and a lot of mistakes. Trial and error, too. Yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, but I sat down. I had the luxury of doing that because I had a three week break between session seven and eight back then. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to work on the pantheon now. 
But we were already in it to that point. You guys were down the road fighting uh, the children of laughter, I believe, at that point. Right. Right. So nothing to do with the gods. I just knew that we were going to get there eventually because the goddess of death is trying to break into this realm for some reason. Yeah. I knew why. I have all that broken down in my head. But what is her relationship with the goddess of life? I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm going to sit down and figure that out. And I'm going to start in the beginning. Yeah. I went as big scale as I possibly could. But when I when I'm actually prepping my sessions, it's it's from the ground up. Yeah. When I prep the world itself, it's from the top down, and hopefully they marry themselves nicely in the middle. That's so mm. funny how you guys are completely opposite to yeah. what I thought. I thought that you would start big because you because you enjoy building things. Like you're like a gardener, you know, like with your start. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I think yeah. it's George Martin said that there's there's gardeners and and. Uh, builders or something like that and like storytelling and that's kind of how you are is that you like to build everything up um uh whereas dan i thought that you would maybe start very small scale and be like i don't know what's on the other side of this wall maybe we'll figure it out as we go yeah. so that's just interesting the way you guys are opposite to what i thought yeah all right uh cool but uh i want to move on to the next topic now uh but first let's uh break for a commercial sure, sure. cool would it be to hear your company name on this podcast? Pretty stinking cool. It's a Mimic is ready to take our show to the next level. We want to partner with other awesome businesses to share your brand with our listeners. Please email us at info at for advertising information. All right, so uh, now I'd like to talk about the concept of plot hooks. Now, Dan, you started to say earlier that um, in session zero, you need to start having a conversation with your players about what you're going to get into as far as your storyline goes. Yep. Did you just drop the die? That you I know? literally just shot the die that I was going to roll across the room. Yeah. Hey, look, an extra one. <laughs> so, um, but I, I want to really dig into that idea of where do you start with your plot hooks? And how do you begin to really pull these ideas out to engage your players a little bit more? Mm -hmm. So let's roll initiative. Which one was mine again? Oh, wow. So with my D12, I rolled the highest, proving my point that I'm better than you. <laughs> and I am, once again, going last. I'd like <laughs> to point out, so I rolled a 7 in, in the box. The dice I shot across the room is also sitting on a 7. Oh, oh well, at least you're consistent. Yeah. All right. All right. So I want to talk about plot hooks um, and really the, the two different kinds or the two different sides of looking at this. There's the DM side and there's the player side. So when we're starting off, DMs, we'll, we'll talk about you first because you're pretty. Um, <laughs> the first thing that you need to do when it comes to session zero and everyone's building their characters and they're coming up with, um, oh, I want to be a rogue that uh, drags a piano along. He's a piano player. Because you took one level in Bard. And you're like, I got a rogue with no strength dragging a piano through this campaign. Through a desert. Yeah, what, what am I going to do with this? Right? You have to keep an ear Rocks on this fall, stuff. you die. <laughs> well, you have to keep an ear on it right yeah. from the beginning. Um, you need to know what your players are into. If they're all sitting around joking about, oh, yeah, I rolled a high constitution so that my character is going to fart a whole bunch. And that's where they're coming from on this. Or there's someone going, oh, I, I've decided that I'm going to pump... 20 points into charisma and tank everything else. So I will be a sex god and be terrible. At, and, you know, that's not what charisma's for, no. but that's why they've done it. You need to know what their expectations are coming in. 
so that you understand the plot hooks that you're going to be able to use to get them. The sex god is not going to give a shit about their honor in battle. They're just not. Yeah. So don't try to tempt them with that. Mm-hmm. Um, players, though, from the beginning, you also need to be coming at this with the expectation of um, of communication as well. You need to talk to your dungeon master and say, this is what I want. I'm interested in this kind of arc. I'm interested in this kind of storytelling. I'm interested in something that is either funny and stupid and mindless because honestly I work 60 hours a week and I just need to turn my brain off for a few hours every Friday. Or I'm looking for something gritty and real. I want to play Game of Thrones, right? Let's yeah, get into mm-hmm. this. Um, be upfront about that right from the beginning. I think it is... So important that everyone gets on the same page. And DMs, be flexible. Here's the big problem that I see when people complain about their dungeon masters. It's because their DM is saying, no, you can't do that. It's this. As you're listening, you should be thinking up about four or five different ways to try to hook your players. The two or three that make a whole lot of sense and three or four maybe wildcard ideas as well. Right? I always have stuff on the back burner to try to drag people in and see what sparks their interest. Which is why I always want backstories out of my players. Yeah, You don't have to write me a 12-page novel every time, Dan. However, it is... Oh, I super, won't. No, yeah, <laughs> but it's super useful for me I to, still will. <laughs> to have a conversation for three minutes in yeah. a session zero and say, so what are you looking for? Right? I, Be- find it, I find it hilarious that I am the guy who doesn't want to... Pl- prep a campaign but when it comes to my characters and my backstories i am more than willing to drop a like 20 page tome on my dm and be like this is what i'm playing yeah but you're all about character yeah you true. you are a character-based dm as yeah. well right yeah you wanted you've got a, a party of eight people and you want each of them to have a personal character arc with their own plot hooks and whatnot yeah so um so dan okay natural segue here it's your turn how do you manage all of that what do you do um so, one, I, I, I encourage my players to give me backstories. I do. Um, because I, I am a very player-centric DM. I, I, I want... We're all here, like you said, like, we work 60-hour weeks. We work 40-hour weeks. We work hard. We've got families. There's times when we need to come and separate and, and find enjoyment. And if there's a struggle at the table, if you're not being entertained by it, there's no point so like i try to make everyone at my table happy and entertained whether it is through the struggle of their character arcs or whatnot whatever but anyways um so i i request things like backstories uh i ask for my players like what are your desires right not even like a backstory like what are your goals what are your desires what are uh uh what is the name of one person who uh, would crush you if they died. I'm just shooting out random examples, right? Like I, I want, I want all this little information so that when I'm building my town, um, that I'm going to drop them in. I have maybe a couple little things, a couple ideas where I know I could. Well, if they go and talk to, you know, the the priests of the lovers, I could trap them in and, and pull them in some way and if they never go there that's fine i'll find some other way to bring that in that that little plot hook so but um, do, you, do you find you have one plot hook and you're just trying six or seven different ways to drag them no into no that? no um i'll also kind of follow the player's lead i think if you're attentive enough to your players you could actually find they'll lead you a lot in this respect as a dm 
So, uh, as an example, I have one character who wanted to play a cleric, but he didn't want to know he was a cleric. He wanted to discover his abilities slowly. Uh, so as... he was chosen by his god, but didn't know. Yeah, he, he wanted to play more of a favorite soul, but as a cleric. So right? didn't have too much of a backstory. Kind of wanted that discovery oh, he, to come he, as part he of the has, campaign. He has a backstory built like uh, of being a clan artisan dwarf and bringing up to this point and wanting to be able to craft the ultimate weapon and learn from who he can. Like He's got this intricate backstory. But he's thrown in these little, like, references of, like, this grand storm or this, you know, thing that happened here where lightning struck as he was striking the anvil or whatever it was. Like, he's thrown these in. And then as we're going through the campaign, I've, like, populated it with these worshippers of this god who are his. And he's slowly discovering these people. Nice. And these holy tomes, he's slowly discovering them and being like, wait, this sounds like something that happened to me. Yeah. Or, wait... This item is becoming more powerful in my hand, right? And I'm also a gift-giving DM. I love giving my players as many magic items as I can because I make up my monsters anyway, so who gives a shit? You guys are both similar on that. And one day we'll talk more about magic items because I am not that way as much. No. It should be like your freaking birthday if you get a magic item from me. It should be the best thing ever. Yeah, but I like throwing in weird magic items. Like, like I like throwing in intelligent weapons i like I, that but i like it when it's super like oh my god what does this thing do instead of everybody finds one in a room and then we find more in the next one you know what i mean yeah but sorry i interrupted um, you but i that. also like like and adam you're kind of the same way you like throwing in these weird like mm -hmm. they're magic items by definition but they're not in any way shape or form Useful in combat. Useful in combat. So it'll be like, yeah, it's a, it's here's a, a chair that, if you say a magic word, becomes small enough to fit in your pocket. Right. right? If, here's a whistle where if you say a magic word, it's going to blow. That's it. Here's here's a pen that if you set on a piece of paper, it'll record any conversation happening within 10 feet of it. Or my favorite one was the ivory throne, which gives you advantage to... All the mental stats. All the mental Advantage stats. to all of the mental stats, but it was an ivory throne that was ridiculously heavy and it was stuck inside of a vault and there was no way to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. Hilarious. So, so when it comes to uh, like really trying to draw my players into the story, I will tempt them with items. I will tempt them with NPCs. I will but tempt when it comes them with to the, story. When it comes to the prep at the beginning... How do you choose ahead of time what, what to grab? I uh, Here's where I get into trouble because I don't really. As I'm kind of running through things with the player, I'll, I'll kind of sense, okay, this guy's right. getting uh, tired of it. Uh, of okay. stuff happening. We've been talking for 11 freaking episodes about how you're the guy that doesn't prep. And it's charming and endearing and sure, we all love you, Dan. <laughs> But you're also coming for 25 years of experience. Oh, yeah, no, experience. I know. So, so, so here's, so, here, I was, I was yeah. about to get to that. Um, pay attention to what your players are, are saying. And it doesn't really matter if the thing you throw in there doesn't really follow the rules to the letter. I'm very much a rules as intended rather than a rules as written guy. Um, and, and listen to your players. Like, this one character was kind of getting a little uh i don't know bored was the word i guess but like he was he was taking longer to talk during his turns and 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 he was getting really uh, persistent about this one little point that kept on happening over and over so i was like okay well in the next room i could give him a hammer that does lightning damage whatever and then i can flesh that out after the fact right 
in the next room, I could give a corpse of a barbarian who has this only, the only thing on his body that is not burned and singed is a single belt. And then hopefully my barbarian goes, oh, okay. And I will guide him to it. I'll be like, and there's a corpse of a topless muscular dude who's burned to a singe. But the only thing that is on him that looks pristine is this leather belt with a fist as a belt buckle. Like, I will tailor them towards the player so that they bring it on. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, if the players latch onto it, I'll be like, okay, now here's why. So as long as I'm making these de- decisions so, during the campaign and, like, making a note of it on my... Right, but but that, that that's what I want to talk about is you have a very uh, organic uh, sense about your, your prep work. Mm-hmm. And we just, like, we make a That's joke. a very nice way of play, putting it. So yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah, but... but it really is organic because you're you've got two and a half decades of experience at this mm-hmm. point in prepping. So when you say, "Oh, I don't prep," you you have you've prepped for for twenty five years to be able to get to this moment. You don't need to look up the society of a cobalt. No, the, you know what it is inherently. You're like, "Oh, I already know what the pantheon is, so I don't have to prep it." Yeah, right. But you've you, given yourself that flexibility. Right. So yeah. you, you have that. So what you're prepping is from your sense of experiences. Don't worry about it. Put it in there. See what they bite. You're essentially throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks. Exactly. And, and then justifying it after the fact. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm all about and the justification from the beginning, and and I will give so many other ob- so many options with justifications, whichever ones they pick up. Will I mean I, by the end of the day, by the end of the session, it's the same thing. They have an item, and it does a thing, and here's a reason for it. Yeah. I just know what those items are ahead of time and what the justifications are ahead of time. And you're flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, and, and honestly, it could even... It, I say I'm a character-driven uh, uh, DM, but I'm also... I like my humor. I like my lightheartedness in my campaign. So, like, I'll throw in... Terry's mag- like, what's that like? We've never had that. <laughs> I, will, I, will throw in, I will throw in weird magic items and weird NPCs just for the laughs. Well, that's because of contrast, right? You need to... Yeah. You can have the darkest campaign ever but it only stays dark if you contrast it with moments of humor and moments of light yeah otherwise there's it's just depressing it's just depressing all the time you know then that's how you know happiness isn't really happiness unless it's come from sadness at some Mm -hmm. point you know uh but i think yeah i know i agree with adam completely you're saying that you don't prep but that 25 years of experience has given you that prep because it's much easier for you to work on the fly yeah so i'm closer to you yeah can i go yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm closer to Adam in that I will start to prep from the very beginning. I think a big mistake that newer DMs will make or very experienced DMs who have seen it all and so are set on the thing that they want to do is, here's the big revelation, you are not listening to what the players are telling you without telling you. Yeah. If you're sat at session zero and everybody sat around the table making dick jokes and doing archer quotes and things like that, they are telling you that that's the type of fun they like to have together, not a nitty-gritty Westeros, let's get real dark thing. It may come up with questions later on that that's what they want to do, but pay attention to what they're telling you without telling you. If you're sat there and everyone's telling you, <clears throat> excuse me, if they're sat there and everyone's telling you that they're sick to death of Orlando Bloom as Legolas and they hate super clean elves and all this sort of thing, they don't want to do that super clean high fantasy. Probably not. Um, and I think the mistake that DMs will have is they have this thing in their head that they're so set on that they're not paying attention to what the players are asking for. 
So that's what I like to do from the very beginning. And then I will give myself multiple options when it comes to plot hooks uh, within the games. For example, if I was going to run uh, an, an opening session in Media Res, as we started to talk about earlier, uh, say if the, it opens up in the middle of a huge battle, for example, I will throw different nuggets out there that the players can bite on if they want to. But ultimately, the climate of the world is the same. This battle is happening no matter what. This army is coming or this dragon is coming no matter what. But how they navigate that road depends on which plot hook they pick up. They break into a room, for example. There is a screaming mother and some crying children and they're injured. The captain says, kill them, take the kids. It's up to the player characters what they decide to do. If they make a good decision, lawful, chaotic, good decision, I know that's where they're leaning towards. So my other plot hooks will reflect, reflect that type of decision. If they click, kill them without even thinking about it and that's what they're enjoying, I know that that's where they're leaning. If they completely ignore that plot hook and they go a little bit further down, I know that that battle is still taking the same shape, but I'll have another little nugget for them to latch onto. So no way am I railroading them. They can pick up on whichever one they want, but the climate of the battle or the world or the campaign is going to happen no matter what. It's just up to them which nuggets they bite on along the way. Well, and that's, yeah, okay, I agree 100%. And I'm just going to rewind a little bit to defend my, my position on the, this item creation because I'm going to flip it over to my NPC creation, okay? Mm -hmm. It's essentially the same thing. I've got all of these different things that I put directly in front of the player and I say, here you go, interact. And I've done all of this prep work ahead of time. First and foremost, the pro to this, or the con, first of all, is they're not going to use everything that you've prepped and it's going to feel like a waste of time. The pro is you can take that, reskin it, and use it later. Yep. Yeah. So you have less prep work to do for session 20. At this point, there are a lot of enemies where I don't even crack a book open anymore because I've memorized their stats 17 sessions ago because I kind of tweaked them and I know that it's going to be a little bit different. Their AC was mid-range and they're so on and so forth. I don't need to crack a book. I know what they can do because I've done the prep, much like Dan has in the past. Dan doesn't need to crack a book to run goblins. No. Right? And it's, and I'm getting now, at this point, to the same the same level of, of knowledge base. But when it comes to items and NPCs, everything is a... Uh, there are enough options, and you can't do them all, and I do it on purpose to see what do you latch on to. If I have a character, or I have a player, who doesn't go after the, the romantic interest plot hook that's sitting there, because NPCs, in my opinion, are more interesting than items. Everyone wants their magic sword, but I would much rather have an underworld contact, for example. But Yeah, you, like, you enjoy uh, allies... Oh, yeah, they come up in your campaigns. Yeah, yeah, a lot of allies. There are a lot of enemies too, but you guys tend to murder the enemies, so you don't ever learn their <laughs> backstories. No, no one ever takes captives in my campaigns. So, um, but uh, but when it comes down to the to these NPCs, I'm looking at who doesn't get chosen, right? I learned real quick which characters, which players at the table were going to get involved with children NPCs and who wasn't, and it surprised me. I had two guys and two girls. Both of the guys went, I'm going to go deal with this this child NPC and befriend them. And both of the girls went, I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> right? I have some murder to get done. And <laughs> and it, it, it flew in, in the face of uh, the stereotypes. And that was one of the very first things that I learned. It's because I'm a dad, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the previous, oh, okay. the previous campaign. But I, I learned um, real quick that the stereotypes are usually... Usually, completely ass backwards when it comes to role playing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, like, yeah, you can I, you can't sit there and expect anything really from your players when that like throw the option. And this is why like I just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Kind of the same way because 
your players are going to surprise you. No matter how much prep, how much anything else you do, your players will oh, undoubtedly just surprise people you. People will surprise you. Yeah. You're right. I could have told you that one of those players would have no interest in no, in somebody else's kids right from the start. <laughs> She'd be like, "You keep that self inflicted injury away from me. That's on you." <laughs> <laughs> but but where you're throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks and saying, "Okay, these are my tools. How am I going to use them?" I've already done the prep work on yeah. it so that when it when they say here are the tools, I say, "Great. Now let's do this." Because I run 8 to 12 hour sessions, right? And I have to have the answer in hour two mm-hmm. because I don't have the option to have a break after hour four for a week to come back and do it again. A lot of people don't have the luxury of playing all day Sunday like we do um, where they get two or three hours every three or four weeks. Yeah. So you have the option in the middle to be like, oh, by the way, that's a cursed item. Yay. I need to know and I need to know now and it needs to affect people immediately. So for longer sessions... It's important for me to have my prep work done uh, early. Now, you touched on something real quick, Terry. And the last thing that I want to touch on, on the, when we're talking about plot hooks is you said, uh, talk about starting in media res. Yeah. For those of you at home who don't understand what in media res means, it's uh, think of a James Bond film where you start in the middle of the action. You don't know why. You just know that they're good guys and bad guys. We're rooting for this guy over here. He's doing this awesome shit. And it's go- he's going off the, off the wall on this. And it's absolutely crazy and it's fun. And then we cut to the opening credits, and then we get some exposition. It's a great way of hooking people. We see it in books. We see it in movies. We see it in TV shows all the time. The first episode of Lost was just a plane crash and the insanity of it. Yeah. Right? And it just dragged everybody in. Say what you will about the last episode of Lost. (laughs) We can put that aside. But the first episode of Lost was a great way to draw people in. And it did. By the millions, it drew people in. But there's also the idea of railroads and sandboxes and fun houses. Is there a different way that you guys prep for each of these things? A different way when you say, hey, I'm going to do session one and I'm going to do a railroad. I'm going to do session one, it's going to be a sandbox. I'm going to do session one, it's going to be a fun house. Do you prefer, like, for which one are you using in media res? Are you starting off with a two-page story that everyone has to read ahead of time to get a flavor for... For the campaign, like what what are you doing for your prep work? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I'm more uh, because I know that that first session, you never get as much done as you think you're going to get done. So I've learned this over time that uh, I won't railroad people, but I will give them a limited amount of options or a limited amount of, of, of options that they think they have. Yeah. We've, we've been, Lost is a great example. We've been shipwrecked. We're on the beach. Okay, well, now essentially you have three directions. You go straight ahead into the jungle or you go north of the coast or you go south down the coast. Yeah. So now I have three directions that I know they're going to go. So I know that there is a village to the north and there is a village to the south and there's some jungle stuff in front of them. A little cheat that I will probably have is that the village to the north is the same as the village to the south. But it's up to you which way you go. Uh, We'll do some random encounters along the way. It's just in my mind, uh, either it's the same village and you have essentially decided whether you go north or south, whether you uh, landed a mile this way or you landed a mile the opposite way. All right. Uh, You know what? Hold on. I retract my question. I retract my question altogether. We'll talk about railroads and sandboxes and stuff in another episode. Sure. Okay. What you just hit is by far more interesting than anything that I have prepped for this for this session or okay. this, this episode, that was an accident. Yeah, pure, pure accident. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mimic. You never know what you're gonna get. All right, That's so it. so here's here's what I want to talk about. Do you prescribe to the uh, the method of the uh, false agency? Sometimes, and Sometimes. when? Not always. Um, I will do it early on. 
early on where I don't want the players to ever feel like they're railroaded, um, but I will do it in a way that they don't realize that they are necessarily. So exactly what I just said. You can go north or south, you're gonna get to that village no matter what, because I need that first session to uh, to get to give you that plot hook and to get you moving. Or you may go completely against that and you may go deeper into the jungle. I'll have something prepped for that, but you can only prep so much in those early sessions. Uh, when it gets later on, you know roughly where people are going. You're, we're making this big this big uh, pirate ship mover up through the river or something like that. That's easier, but it's more chaotic at the beginning. So I will take away some agency at first. Dan? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, buy the buckets. Dan, no, I, I want yeah, you to know yeah, yeah, before you get to this point, Dan. I want you to know that my goal in my DMing career is to get to the point where I am comfortable enough to do very little prep work like you because that experience allows me that flexibility. So I make you, fun you, of your methods, but yeah. it actually is a goal for me. Um, it shouldn't be. I, okay. I think there. <laughs> just real quick, like there should be. There should be an amount of prep that does happen that I don't do. Like I, I understand that I under prep. Like my experience, whatnot. That's one thing, and and it makes my prep work easier. It shouldn't mean that my prep work is, you know, quicker and I get to my point faster, but I still do it. Okay. I'm lazy, so I don't. So when it comes to like these. Um, ideas of using false agency with the players where like you guys have this decision it's a very important decision it's not really important to do <laughs> you it can choose anyways. one of these three chests but only one they all have the same hammer <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah right yeah um, I close it and open another one oh crap <laughs> I, I do that a bunch no the other two are mimics uh, I do I do that a bunch and uh, I don't know man like it, it for me I I don't mind being railroaded and like like, even if it's a, you are going down this path. I don't care. I'm just there for the fun yeah. of it, right? Um, and I actually find sandboxes a little bit frustrating, you in a sense. Say. Because, Dan, like... Dan gives me a lot of shit you guys are running a, a sandbox campaign right now. I, I, I get, I get, uh, what, what, what's the term? I get, I get overwhelmed by my choice. Uh, analysis paralysis. Actually, I, get, I, I get agree with you on that. Right? Yeah, like, sometimes it is overwhelming. If there's so much going on, and, and in Adam's world where there is something happening in every single little point me being who i am i want i want to experience it all so like when we spend three weeks in the Feywild, <laughs> completely separated from this map i'm sitting there scratching because i'm like what is happening in Markintown? what's happening at the big mall and like when he hands us the thing and says oh yeah that's from andor village you know it's destroyed i go how? Because this wasn't the way it was before. Dan's got FOMO. So, You've got fear of missing out. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I, I want to experience I've it I've never all. heard of before. FOMO. I FOMO, love it. Yeah. So, He's a FOMO mofo. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I will throw that at my players all the time because I, I want them to experience what I want them to experience. I know what I you're guess. saying. Right? So uh, when I fly off the seat of my pants... I know, like, in the next couple rooms somewhere, there's going to be a uh, a, a cobalt-like creature covered in ash. Sure. Sometimes it is overwhelming, though, because sometimes it's when there's so much happening, you're like, what are we supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah. Or someone comes in, and it's this person, this NPC, and you're like, who's that again? Because for three weeks, you've been in the Feywild or Shadowfell or something, and you're like, what was that dwarf from before? Oh, exactly. And get mixed up. And, and, and sometimes I paint myself into a corner with my method, which is why I would say, don't do what I do. Like, pr 
prep a little bit because you'll paint your if you do what I do you'll paint yourself in a corner and um, for me I just kind of hand wave and play oh yeah no I forgot about that sorry yeah no it's this way right and then that gets me out of painting myself in a corner but you'll paint yourself in a corner where you'll be like the village to the north is full of undead the village to the south is full of you know an elf dwarf conflict yeah okay well we're going to the south well there goes all your plans for undead yeah because you can't exactly just be like okay same skin but what we're saying is you have the ability where you can hand wave or adapt very quickly but for newer dms who even kobolds we were talking about earlier we know that they're small they're not very intelligent at all that they rely on traps you may not know that if it's your exactly, first time. Yeah. And so when um, when you know the players kind of go off the rails and kind of go a little bit crazy and you have to be very flexible and adapt quickly, if you don't have those basic fundamental tools on D&D, it's very difficult. Yeah. And you can I, I also like to drop like irresistible plot hooks on things. Like here is a beloved NPC that because you guys chose the wrong choice, like you guys went off the, uh, off the rails to this other section... I'm going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to kill that person and throw them at that location, right? <laughs> Which will cause them to be like, ah, get back on the rails because they know not to mess with me. Right, okay, now that's a very different way of DMing <laughs> from what I do. So to, to answer my own question, now that I've listened to you guys <laughs> talk for a little bit, and and I've been able now to come up with my own answer. Um, I, yeah. You don't just randomly kill NPCs? No, absolutely not. There's a reason for everything. So the way that I do it is I sandbox it, but I come up with the whole world ahead of time. As much as I'm like, I start and, and I start in a very narrow perspective, and I slowly build my myself out. I am building out far faster than you guys will ever get to in a session. Right. So, you know, session one, I've got the the town with all with seventeen NPCs. By session two, I've got four towns, and each one of them has thirty NPCs. By session six, I have a world map. Right, I it's so beneficial for me to have a month and a half of prep ahead of time because I prep so quickly. And it, okay, if this is the the horse village and everything they do is horses, then the next one over is going to be uh, what's the next logical step on the map? It'll be a logging village because they need lumber to build wagons uh, for the horses. Okay, we need enough area to have a uh, grazing field and, and miles and miles and miles. So the horses are wild. What's on the other side of that? Okay, well, there's going to be a, some sort of barbarian village on the on the far side, but but they're not there all the time. They're only here during the harvest season. For and you're just but, coming up with and, this. And I'm like, just spitballing yeah. shit off, off top of my head. Right? Yeah. It's a go 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 go. I'm not married to any of it, but I'm going. So when you guys decide you're going to head over to this barbarian village, well, you never went off to that to that logging village. That logging village is there. That mayor is still corrupt. And he is still murdering people in order to maintain his corruption. So if you don't show up there for seven or eight sessions, when you should have shown up there earlier, I, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as a DM, I'm like, oh, they, they should go there first. And you don't because you're players and I hate you. But <laughs> you go off in the other direction. And so this lumber village now has fewer citizens. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what's happened? Like, oh, now I, now I have to come up with this whole um, plot hook about a murderer. Instead of just one person died. That was weird. I don't slow roll it anymore. Now I'm in a murder mystery. I dropped you guys into the middle of it. Yeah. Okay. And so by knowing my NPCs, by building the world, I allow you to sandbox, but the world moves on without you. So I wanted, I always like having the feeling of what you do matters because the world moves on without you. If you interject yourself, you will interrupt the DM, my own designs, and therefore affect the world. 
what is the point of saving the world if you don't give a shit about it? Yeah. Right. And so that's always where I come from first. I'm big on, on getting that, that concept of um, your agency mattering more than anything that I've come up with. So if you say, hey, I want to do this, as long as it logically makes sense within the world, yeah, do that. Absolutely. If you are a dwarf and you want to marry the elven princess, we'll find a way. We will find a way. Because that's weird. And she was betrothed to the elf prince from the other kingdom over there. And now she's fallen in love with you. And I never would have come up with this on my own. This is fantastic now. What does this do? Does this create a a warfare between the two? Or does it bring them together? Does it create warfare with the other elven kingdom? Right? Like I don't know. Because you have injected this in here. I didn't know you were going to go there. But the option is there because I understand that there is a princess and she is betrothed. And there is a, and so I've done all of this prep work and it's so sandbox. And if you guys don't do that and she gets married off screen, you come back and she's been married to the prince now. Who gives a shit? She's married now. Yeah. You didn't miss anything, mm-hmm. right? But you, you missed the opportunity that you create or don't create. And so yeah. I hope that you are doing the thing that's most interesting to you. Right. Yeah. And that's why I would, uh, just hearkening back to the early, earlier topic here, like, um, that's why I would encourage DMs, whether you're new or old, to get information from your players and get that stuff from your players to figure out what points from their backstory, from what their desires are, you need to hit to bring them towards that, right? And, and players... Give like, your DM stuff. Yeah, Give them, give them loose ends. And, and, and not just loose, em, loose ends. Um, as much as as much fun as that is. But, oh, yes, there was the bully from my hometown that went off in the same direction three years before. And he's made a name for himself, but we haven't met yet. And Sure, great. Okay, so that's out there somewhere. Sure, loose end. But give them, I want to do a, uh, a an arc where I lose faith in my God. I want to do an arc where I am a rogue. And I lose my fingers. Ooh. I want to do an arc with... So come up with... with, I want to be a blind wizard. Right? Like, whatever it is, come up with the most interesting thing that you can think of. And it's often a flaw. Yeah. And we'll talk about that probably in another episode as well. But um, come up with whatever it is and give it to your DM. And DMs be, be open to the idea of taking it and using it because this is the plot hook they want. Yeah. Can I, I would add to that as well as DMs is that that whole concept of help me help you giving because every group is different. Every DM is different. Giving them like permission quotations, you know, um, to to pull that out of players who may be showing up to your session zero. Like, I don't know what I can do. Like, I don't understand this. Help me. What is good? Give me ideas. Ask me questions, you know, so help them help you as well. Yeah, And also players like. Have some trust in your DMs with yeah, this as well. Yeah, I know well. this is something we cover a lot, but it is it's it's valid. It's important. It, it, you know? Like you, if you're giving your DM like this basket of things that they could go and play with, expect them to go and play with it, but don't expect them to play with it the way you necessarily want them to. Yeah, and be okay with that. Trust that person at the end of the table to do well with it. If there is something you very specifically want to hit. Be clear. Or don't want. Or we, don't want. As we talked clear. about in episode nine, right? Yeah. With, with boundaries and whatnot. Be clear. If you want to go in like, oh, yes, people are getting tortured and I need to go rescue them, but I don't want to see the torture chamber. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you just made me realize something there, Dan, I think gets forgotten by players who played for a long time, is that 
new players don't realize that that is kind of what they're supposed to do. Like, mm-hmm. they'll make their character. This is my character. Okay, now we're going to play your story. Let's go. Uh, but I, it kind of, it works. You have to come back a bit. Okay, give me something to give you a story uh, from. I, I've, I've got a friend who honestly looked down on D&D for years. And, like, looked down her nose and said, this is, this is bullshit. And she's recently been convinced by her boyfriend to play. And she's having just a shit ton of fun. Um, and she's absolutely <laughs> Catch loving up it. mode. Yeah, absolutely. But she rolled her backstory. And she rolled her backstory. Yep. Ooh. Yep. So she rolled for backstory and background and ideals and flaws and traits and the whole thing. So she's coming at this character that is all randomized. And she says, okay, now that I've rolled that, I've done that. And I'm just going to go play in the field and fight dire wolves now, right? And so the backstory doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And so they're playing a very, very basic version of Fifth Ed, which really is initiative to initiative right yeah. like that's that's how they're playing i want so badly to encourage her to be like no come up with interesting things to bring you back but if she's having fun she's having fun yeah and that dm obviously says or knows well enough that this person only wants to roll dice that's enough plot hook for some people yeah right so as much as we're coming up with these big intense theories on game crafting also, there's there's the other side of it too. Some people just need to swing a sword. Yeah, that's it. Well, we have the player in our group because we we've been talking a lot about exploration and fleshing out stories and things recently in the part of the game that we really enjoy. But then we have that one player in our group where it's like we go on the road and she's like on the road again because her favorite part of the game is just doing random encounters. Yeah, yeah. walking down the road and a werewolf comes out and she's like, yes, <laughs> no consequence murder. But yeah, I didn't even expect that from that person. Like, there's no you can plan for that we have this huge story arc to go and she's like that's great totally paying attention love it when are we going on the road again because I really like slashy slashy smite do you have any idea how difficult it is as a DM to come with level 14 random encounters (laughs) it's insane trying to do that this is something we'll talk about again in the future I'm sure but when you're level 14 you're higher level sure but you're still occasionally just going to come across a couple of wolves. It's just going to happen. It's just learning to make that encounter more interesting. Yeah, I, I would say that you're not, though. Those wolves will take one look at you and, and peace out. Yeah, maybe. They're, they're just done with you. But I think, yeah. or or you'll still come across, <coughs> you'll still come across very low-level creatures and NPCs and things like that that are not necessarily, they are not within the tier of the game that you're within, yeah. but they can affect it somehow. Yeah, and I mean, we, we spoke a few episodes back about you guys were high-level, you right into, like, Level one human bandits are just like, okay, we're sorry. This yeah. was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. But please don't execute. But it was us. great. It was one yeah. of my favorite encounters. I bring it up all the time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, if you're a level 14 druid and you run into a dire wolf, you are not fighting it. You are taming it. Yeah. Because you are a level 14 druid. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah. like, there are, you're right, there are ways around it. Um, let's do a shout out um, before we move on to topic three. So, uh, Terry, did you have someone that you wanted to... Uh, yeah, I want to shout out a, a, an Instagram page that I like to follow and I get a, a lot of good content from is uh, Critical Thank Dice. You. Oh, no, it's not And uh, at Rusty Styrofoam. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Uh, but Critical Dice, I find that page is uh, incredibly informative. It gives me lots of great ideas for the game and it's just one of my go-to pages. When we do our shout-outs, we're, we're very genuine with this. We take a lot of time to think about who we're going to call out and uh, at Critical Dice, for sure, Instagram. Check that page out. It's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, and just so everyone at home is aware, I think we mentioned this once and never did it again. Yeah. Our shout outs are, um, are really community based. Yeah. Like it's people that we like that we're excited about uh, working with or seeing the things that they've done. If you yourself 
at home are listening to this or in your car or whatever, you're like, hey, you know who deserves a shout out? You know, it's my DM's birthday or whatever coming up. I'd like to do a shout out on a podcast. Send us a message. Yeah. It's cool. We'll do that. We're not pretentious like no, that. Like, if it's a birthday specifically, give us some time. Like, we're recording this... Months in advance. Months Shocker. in advance. It's, it's so not like, 1 a.m. Tuesday morning. The podcast is going out in an hour. <laughs> That's not how we do this. We pre-record them. Or if, if you write PDF documents or if you come up with cool subclasses or something like that, let us know about it. We'll take a look at it. And if we like it, we'll give you a shout-out. Yeah. yeah. And even, even if it's like uh, we mentioned a couple t- uh, days ago, like Dungeon... Um, Dungeon Keep. Dungeon Keep, yeah. Those guys, like, uh, they make fun little spell card holders and dice bags and all these other things. Oh, like, and, they, and they gave us coins, too, which is yeah, fantastic. The fantastic. coins are awesome. So, so, anyway, if you have stuff like that, you're like, hey, I'm sitting on a on a significant portion of these things that I'm not moving. Flip them over to us, let us know, contact us, and we'll give you a review. Like, we we want to be part of the D&D community, yeah. and, and we want you guys to be part of it as well. So let's let's continue let's to give more. Be one big happy family. Exactly. Yeah, those absolutely. coins are awesome. Just to go back to the coins real quick. I know we've said, we don't use them as coins. We use them as markers in our world map. But I just yeah. love the fact and they're, they're correct. They're the correct shapes and colors of the coins. In the, yeah, I just I just like I think it's the the copper piece is like a triangle. I just want to take it and throw it at Adam sometimes <laughs> and see if I get embedded in his forehead when he makes me do bad things as a character. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. You can go uh, find Dungeon Keep and get weapons. No, uh, Critical <laughs> Dice. Critical Dice on Instagram. Yeah, great page. Really yeah, love it. absolutely fantastic. Um, all right, let's move on to the last thing. I want to talk about starting locations. We've talked a lot about um, kind of our, our plot hooks and our prep methods and, and whatnot, but let's talk about our first setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get into it, let's let's roll initiative let's again. Let's roll it. Oh, put my D20 in my I'm pocket. I'm going last. Oh, I'm going first. I rolled an 11. This D12 was really rocking it for me. I want you to know that. <laughs> I botched. You're killing it. I get to go first. A natural Once one. Once every blue moon. As is tradition for you, though. Uh, so. uh, all right. So um, let me explain, Terry, before you get started. Go what, for what it. What I mean by this. Um, taverns and starting locations yes. are so important, specifically taverns. And the reason that they're so important is because this is our touchstone at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Especially for new players who've never been in the world before. What does it mean? To, to start in the campaign. Where do you go from here? How do you get your first quest? How do you meet the rest of the party members? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really the introduction. And as much as the story is beginning, middle, and end, the beginning and the end of a D&D story is one session each. And everything else is middle. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's so important to have this beginning moment. Taverns are great for that because it's a social area mm-hmm. where people can interact with the world around them and see different people from different walks of lives. I myself have probably two or three meals a week in a bar. Um, that's just me. I often have lunch me at, too. at a pub. I love it too. Right? So um, it's not outside the realm of possibility. People aren't going to meet in a wizard's tower for the first time. That may be a little bit more difficult to No, it makes address. perfect sense that a group of people would be meeting in a tavern. It's, yeah. I love that trope. I, I love it. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about what are some other like inspirations? What are the other reasons that we go to taverns um, in D&D um, or inns or however you want to flavor it um, and what are other options that can still kind of fit those slots right so okay I'll, I will go outside of taverns a little bit but I think the problem is where some people get sick of the whole tavern idea is because they don't know where to go with it so I say instead of moving outside of that we all meet in a tavern idea pay more attention to what is actually going on in the tavern 
So what I mean by that is you are essentially now have everybody walled in and you have infinite possibilities about what could be going on in there. So a tavern is a place where a lot of people meet, some very unsavory characters. So when you're starting your first session, it can be as simple as roll a perception check. There's so many people there. Somebody, cause shocker, you're not the only people in the world to steal from other people. Somebody could be trying to steal from you. You may overhear a conversation about somebody smuggling something. You may hear somebody trying to plan a murder. You may, um, you may notice that there appears to be some kind of trap door. You may try to go to the tavern to meet there, and that was where your party was supposed to meet, and the tavern is on fire, or the tavern has been destroyed. So if you want to go with that classic meet in a tavern because it's easy to start the campaign, pay more attention to what the infinite amount of possibilities could be when you get in there. Same as if you want to go outside of it. Maybe you just meet on the road. Maybe you're at a campsite. I kind of started uh, our last campaign before the time of Dan, yeah. before the time of Dan, where you started the campaign at a campsite, but it was not your campsite. You came across somebody else's campsite yeah. because there are more adventurers well, out there. If you remember correctly, I missed the first session. Yes, you. Oh, so, that's right. You so hit. I showed up, and it was like, all right, so guys, when we were in the tavern, how do we meet? And Terry looks at me and goes, tavern. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You guys were walking down the road. You came upon a campsite. I'm like, oh. Why? You met at somebody else's yeah, campsite. Wh wh why, are we, why are we together? And he said, because the module says. That <laughs> That's right. Because the module says. Probably one of three parts of that module that I kept the same. Yeah. As <laughs> so I was trying to learn the game. Yeah. Exactly. I actually, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the tavern trope. Only because it almost inevitably ends up with the tavern burning down, like almost <laughs> without fail. Do you know what? Do you know what that says to me though, Dan? Because I know you you kind of want to go on this. That says to me that the players have you've given them that open world where it's like you meet in a tavern and they went, "What the hell are we supposed to do?" So you something within the tavern. There's 200 people in that tavern. They're all planning, plotting, stealing. They're, you can go anywhere. Yeah. You have 25 plot hooks right there. So don't be scared to start in a tavern, but just think about the fact that you're not the only people in that tavern. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. I, yeah, I, I rolled second. The thing that I like about taverns is the fact that you have a lot of travelers that are, that are just passing mm -hmm. through as well. Um, and that's that's a really big important aspect of, especially early stages D and D is ex exploring the world. You're going to run into people that are holding maps. You're talking about there are like 200 people in the tavern. I mean that's a big tavern, especially, yeah. especially medieval. Exactly. Time. But <laughs> it's a nightclub. Yeah, it's a club. Yeah. Um, DJ Half Orc is on the decks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It's like that band from Scott Pilgrim. Oh. Rage, pain. <laughs> oh, what's that? Everything sucks. Oh, that's oh, the end what's of the name of that band? Sex Babom. Sex that's Babom. the best yeah. name for a band ever. We are Sex Babom. Um, so I've completely been derailed now. No, so, <laughs> so it's important for uh, for you to be in this place where there are people that are traveling, that are passing through, that are going to head from one city to another to kind of give you an idea, without there being exposition of this is the map. These are the cities. You have someone say, oh, yeah, I'm heading from Newport over to mm -hmm. uh, Old Port. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, whatever it is, they are they are moving from one area to another. And so you're kind of getting the flavor of a person that would kind of be heading in that direction. Mm -hmm. uh, or why they're going there. I, I have to, I'm heading over to the old part of town or to the, the kingdom to the north because my very rich uncle died in the metropolis there. Oh, okay, so there's Metropolis up there north. Like, and that's that's it. You're dropping these these pieces of flavor in the world by having all of these these NPCs that are passing through. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that the very 
first thing that you do in most campaigns is a social encounter and then an exploration encounter before you ever get to the combat. Right. And most people think of D&D as being combat. Now, you can open it up, as we said before, with an in-media rest style. But um, taverns are so um, stereotypically good for this because it is uh, a place where people are consistently mingling and talking with each other and there's stuff happening. You can just move over to another table and have a radically different conversation. Yep. Yep. Go gambling, play cards or something. Yeah. Um, uh, but I absolutely love the idea that a tavern really has four different places in it as well. The average tavern. And it's the in portion upstairs where there's rooms. There's the gambling in the back. There's the, um, the kind of the public area where there's tables and a bar the lounge yeah right where, <laughs> and where, a stage with a bard who's telling some story DJ well, I, I don't even always have the bard necessarily but i will always have an, DJ half work no and every tavern has this they have the shadowy figure sitting in the darkness <laughs> yeah, right too. and so you have that there's something to do for everybody yeah that's right, right and so that's another aspect of the tavern that's that's important what you just got me with there adam is you said and um, you start with a role player in an exploration uh, situation before you get to combat and it made me realize right then when you said it if you miss that you shoot straight to combat which is the tavern burning down yeah yeah if you don't and like open you're saying up with that you're saying a lot of campaigns don't start with combat i'm like are you kidding me like but that's because you so, missed the role play so, exploration so it's like uh well no <laughs> the tavern's burning down because someone messed up the role play encounter took offense and is like <laughs> oh, okay man, yeah. well i'm just gonna throw this torch directly into this barrel can, of can, we, can we just take a second and also do a secondary shout out to all of the pyromancers that are in Freaking D&D. Thank you. And it's, and it's, it's, not just, it's not just the abjurers, right, or the conjurers that or are producing numbers. flames, right? That, that, that's, that's not where we're going with this. I'm talking about every rogue with a pack of, a pack of matches, right? <laughs> every angry bard, uh, barbarian with a torch. If you've got a bard and a rogue in the same party, you're in for a good time. Okay? <laughs> Don't let those two sit together. <laughs> someone's getting fucked and someone's getting fucked. <laughs> yes. But, There's but, our two. <laughs> also, when you talk about explore, exploration as well, because you mentioned how you could just hand them a map and be like, here's new part, here's old part, as you yeah. kind of said. But you use the role play and the, as as part of the exploration. Yeah, and absolutely. that draws the players in there. Instead of just saying, okay, here's your map, where do you want to go? You're using the, the role play as part of the exploration to describe where the towns are, describe where the cities are, describe what's going on in them. Oh, what, what news from the north? Uh, you know, old part is burning down and blah, blah, blah. And you may drop in a name from someone's backstory straight away. Yeah, and, and, and you can do that. Like, if you're starting Storm King's Thunder and you've decided to start in a tavern for whatever reason, mm -hmm. and you just, the giants are on the move. Right, and that could just be the rumor in the tavern. Yeah, like you know, you're playing a giant campaign before you sit down. Yeah, everybody knows that, but they don't want to go four or five sessions before they run into the first giant. They want to hear the rumblings ahead of time. Somebody walks in, three guys walk in carrying a monstrous sword. It takes three of them to mm -hmm. carry, and they plunk it down on the bar and say, "Guess what? We just killed." <laughs> right, like that's a cool way to start a campaign. I love those taverns on the road as well. They don't necessarily need to be in the town. You know, like Game of Thrones style, there's like the taverns on the oh, King's yeah, Road yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's where you meet the travelers. Yeah, all those those types of plot. Three guys walk in the bathroom, two guys walk out. Yeah. Boom, there's your plot hook straight away. Or you can ignore it and go gambling. Yeah. yeah. I, I Personally, I, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of the tavern just because it's a trope that for me, it's a bit overdone. Mm -hmm. I, I I like pulling people more into the, like, the city proper. Right. Like, right. right. Into the... But why? What are you taking? What what from a tavern is necessary for you to take into whatever your initial encounter is? Um, I just want to have something that pulls the party together as a party. Because typically on my in my in my games, your party doesn't start as a party. You start as a group of individuals who I want to 
I want to organically make part of a party. I right? think that's a lot of campaigns. And that's a lot of campaigns. So like, and I, I find the tavern. I mean, it's good for that. It's the, you know the old guy running into the tavern, going, "I need help," and the <laughs> and like the four adventurers at the table go, "Well, we'll do it." No, three of them do, and one says, "Why should I?" Yeah, right. <laughs> right? how much? And how much? Yeah, the there's that beauty in the but, beast, right? Where he runs in the tavern with Gaston stuff. Yeah, I yeah. like I like forcing my players' hands. Um, there is a in the Rise of the Room Lords campaign for. Uh, Pathfinder, it starts off at a festival, and you start this entire thing like doing festival games and doing, um, like uh, how who can drink water from this uh, like disgusting pond, um, uh, like a aquarium thing, like it's all of this other right. stuff, and then goblins attack, and now you have your party all in different spots in this like courtyard trying to deal with several different goblins all attacking. Right, okay, but here's my question, because you started off at Social Encounters, and you're exploring the festival, right? So you're still hitting those two big things. What are the similarities? What are the things that you would have in a tavern encounter that you also have in that, or also have in your own personal exploring the city? Or what are the touchstones that when someone is prepping a session one, for the first time, and they've never DM'd before, what are the touchstones that you really need to be able to hit, I guess is the question. You All you need is a unifying goal for the party. I don't, like, all of the other stuff is gray noise. So all, it's all white noise, sorry. Like, all of that stuff is is kind of just fluff that you could throw in, flavor a little bit of things to add interesting aspects of it, but it can be whatever it is. The only thing you need is that one unifying... The call to the, action. The call to so action. So you're saying that the, the town festival where there may be a three-legged race, so the bard and the rogue, they get tied together to compete in the three-legged race, and that's when the goblins attack. Yeah, exactly. So now right? these two strangers are forced to work together. Exactly. Because they're tied or, together. Or, or um, there's a break-in at the stables, and the, the horses are all gone, so now your your bard, your bard, sorry, your druid and your ranger have to go and wrangle these spooked horses that are running through the town and trampling people like there's so many different things you can do if there's a call to action that brings all of the party members together that's the only thing you need what its surrounding thing is is i see i would disagree with that and i disagree with it for i've got an example that will be personal to you dan in your campaign you have my character terry doesn't know it's my character an npc and one other person um, who was a lieutenant in the guard is now captain. We we I joined the militia, right? That was a part oh, of. Oh, your character is a, a yeah, m- yeah, captain. yeah. No, no, my, no. My character joined the militia and is following someone else's character as a captain in this in the town guard, right? Yeah. So um, and we formed a militia, and my character's like, "Hey, we're a militia. Yeah, let's do this." And the NPC is like, "Yeah, let's do it." And everyone else is like, "No, man, I'm not a part of your militia. I don't give a shit, and you can't make me." Hmm. And a lot of the times we are justifying. We're like. Session eight, and we are justifying why are you coming to? Why is everyone on this mission together? Mm-hmm. And we had this big, like, inciting moment, this incident where the town got half destroyed and everybody rescued everybody else. And then we sat there afterwards and went, Well, we've rescued them. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. Yeah, <laughs> see, you <laughs> see you later. Right. And, and I mean, that. But, but for a new players DM. Are players like Right, that, but for a new DM, happen. how do you handle that? I, I understand that with you with 25 years of experience, you go, all right, yes, you're correct. Everyone has gone this way. All of the NPCs are now refugees. I would just, I would just outside of the game, talk to my people and be like, you're, you guys are party. Behave like one. I, yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah, but, for, but when you are a new DM. Oh, no, with, that's the way I would do it as a new DM. With new players who would say, what's a party and how do we behave like one? I would people say, know what a party for is. me, 
I would say you have to start the thread of why the players should continue to work together before the original one is finished. So it takes a little bit of thought time, but we have that first mission with you're wrangling up the horses, yeah. whatever it is. Before that is being completed, there needs to be a reason. Something else needs to happen that keeps them going so that you're threading these reasons to yeah. stay together. And usually what I'll do is I'll have that one as like that one aspect of a person in the town or, or like authority figure in the town come to be like, you four did well together. I need you four to go do this. I'll give you money. Yeah, so you kind of right. So I'm yep. like, I'm trying to be like, okay, you four, and like, I'm forcing them into a, a party. So you, so a lot of times you use an authority figure or a quest giver, or, and yeah. that's another thing that's consistent in taverns is quest givers. This is what I'm trying to hit here, Dan, because you sitting here on the podcast saying no, none of this is is worth anything, and it's all bullshit and flavor and whatnot doesn't help the people at home. No, no, no. I'm trying to listen. Well, so, or so one of the things, them- guys, I'm going to stop you both right here because I, I'm going to stop you. Stop. Because I understand what each of you is saying, but you guys are talking about different things. So what Adam, what you're trying to say is all of the important things that happen within the tavern. Yes, there's the insightful event. Yes, there's the call to action. But that whole, hi, my name is, this is me, this is my character, and this is who I am. That meeting, if you do the insightful event, the call to action outside of the tavern, when do you do that bit? And yeah. it'll happen after the encounter. Because it's still important for... The characters may all be in the same party. And they all may have 10 years of history together. But the players don't necessarily know what the other characters are. Yeah. Right? So, me over here, I don't know what Dan's wizard is. Okay? My character knows, but I don't. So, we still need to have that introduction. So, when do we do that? If we're not doing the standard tavern touchstones, and you want to start in media res, which is what I think you're saying, Dan... Right, is you start off with it, the inciting action hits and it's combat from the beginning, or not read from the beginning, but it's, yeah. it's before necessarily understanding the map of the world or whatever it is. Exactly. It's laid out. When do you do that then? When can a new DM or new players expect to hit that? How important is it to hit it early? Well, I guess you want you want to hit all these things at session one. You want to get it all out of the way. So like you're gonna to want to come in if if you're doing what I'm doing and and you are pulling just that insightful act out of the out of the tavern. You're still going to need to have that moment where your party, calming down from the bloodlust, is going to sit down and talk to each other and be like, oh yeah, by the way, my name's Oscar, I'm a half-orc barbarian, how you doing? Okay, and do you think that it is enough to just do it in meta, uh, like from a meta perspective? Or you say, hey look, you all live in this world, here's the world map that you all freaking know. Do, do I think it's enough? Yes. Would I recommend you go further into it? Yes. Right, I think I think it's enough for you to sit across the table and be like, "Hey, Steve, who are you playing?" Oh, well, I'm playing my half elf paladin. All right, cool, Steve. Awesome. Anything we need to know about him? Well, he really likes kittens. Cool. He's a paladin of kittens, and we move on. But it's better to do it like in role play, like sit, sit, sit your guys down around a campfire or or whatever it is, like calming down before before they get pulled into the next plot hook. That you could also do in a tavern, but before they do that, you could say, okay, guys, you have a moment, introduce yourselves in character to each other. I think, and it can happen very naturally. For example, Dan, if you really were a wizard, and I had never met you before, he is, in many ways. And he lives lives on the coast. But if for whatever reason, uh, goblins attacked our very fancy studio here, and we had to fight them off together, but I'd never met you before, and you made flames appear from your hands, I'm probably going to bring that up when the goblins are dead. And be like, <laughs> hey, those are some interesting tricks you had there. Yeah, and, right? And these are these are all things you could do. And like, 
So, so uh, to take it back to the tavern for a second yeah, yeah. here, okay? There are the the social introduction to, or there's the, the introduction socially to all of the yeah. different characters. There's usually a quest giver that tends to happen in the yeah. tavern. There is a a it's a social environment. There's, Normally, you there's don't need two to or have... three important NPCs that you want the party to get used to and keep coming back to like a merchant or the bartender or the bard or that seedy underworld contact or the the buxom barmaid or whatever it is yeah so when you have the when you have the tavern that's checking off all these boxes if you move to another location like a festival like you said then we need to identify which boxes aren't checked yet and make sure we check them yeah yeah. in our prep work right so as dms and as players when it's when it's like oh hey we killed the goblins now it's time to give introductions don't sit there and be like oh yeah no my guy's name is George Optimus Prime I don't give a shit about any of you and let's just go murder some goblins you're not helping anybody yeah right help the other people around exactly. the table yeah. and help your DM right so what are the boxes that the DM needs to ensure that we're that we're checking off within that first session. So I, I think I think so. If so we not divide, first encounter, not but first session within the I, first session. I I think if we separate these a little bit into these are the things that need to be hit and these are the things that you should probably address. Yeah, like these are two separate columns. Sure. Yeah. So like, uh, for me, the ones you need to hit, establish a couple NPCs, like get your players invested in the town or the townspeople in some way, shape, or form. Some roots or something that they can go back. Yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Give them some roots. I kind of made the mistake of blowing up the town. But I saved a lot of the NPCs. So a lot of my players in my group are invested in several of the NPCs. Um, introduce your party to each other. Introduce your party to each other. <laughs> right? And and that that's going to be a big one, right? Like, yep. you don't want to get to session five and be like, oh, wait, your name's Oscar? What? With a K? That's weird. Oscar. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's something, just to stay on that one real quick, because I mentioned it earlier. That's one which people think is awkward, but think... Reality. Uh, let's use Game of Thrones as the example again because there's so many NPCs in that show yeah. that are meeting each other on the road. They're getting tied in And together. they all look the same because everyone's dirty. <laughs> That's true. Um, but those introductions are happening all the time and they're very natural. If you do get into a combat or a situation with somebody, you will naturally introduce yourself afterwards because this person just made something blow up. This person was praying halfway through the battle and this person, OMG, just turned into a freaking bear. I'm going to ask questions after that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I saw someone do on Instagram, I'm totally going to rip this off, is get the Hi My Name is name tags for your players around the table. Put their character name in there as well as their race and class. Nice. And that will help in session one kind of break that ice without having to necessarily break that ice. Yeah. Right? So it'll it'll smooth things over a little bit. Because I will remember that Dan ran around and used oil and fire to murder goblins as opposed to a chain. Yeah. Right? Like, whatever it is, I'll remember what he did and how he did it, but I won't, I won't remember why or who he is, right? No. Because I'm sitting here across the table looking at Dan. So having that, that character introduction is important. I would say that, that another one besides the character introduction and the NPCs is the concept of um, the flavor of the world you're in. Yeah. Whether or not... Set the tone. Yeah, yeah, set the tone. That that's a really good way to say it. Whether or not it's it's steampunk or gothic horror or whatever it is, high fantasy. Yeah, whatever. yeah, sure. Whatever style that you're doing, if you're going to play an Aberon campaign and you've chosen it, or you're starting in the Underdark, feel it from session one. 
Yeah. Right? Know that you are specifically there. It's actually a question I ask all my players in a session zero that I, I every single time will ask. How are you guys feeling about guns in this campaign? Yeah. Right? Nope, hate it, next. Yeah, right? And then some DMs will be like, nope, hate it, next. Other people will be like, I literally want to play How do you guys feel about gun control in this campaign? <laughs> right? And, and, and bring that in because some people will get all bent out of shape if they're walking down and they see a mechanical airship fly over their head. Yeah, you know, I, I think as long as it's standard. If I'm playing in Eberron, I'm cool with it. If I'm playing in Greyhawk, I'm not. And that's just me. I mean... Yeah, but what you guys are referring to there, because you guys know the setting so well, is you need to have an understanding. The DM needs to have a thorough understanding of their setting, uh, whether it's homebrew or whether it's whatever. There just needs to be some set consistency. Yes. Which goes back to the thing that we were talking about earlier with you, Terry, about reading the module, giving it at least a glance over first. Yeah. Right? We need an overview. We need to know the climate of the campaign and where it's going. Because this uh, Wood Elf Ranger over here using the longbow is going to be super pissed if the next Wood Elf Ranger they meet has got a hunting rifle, you know? So Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, okay, we have meeting NPCs, we have setting the tone, we have meeting each other, so mm. meeting the, the players. Quest givers, and what do we mean by quest givers? Yeah. Do, do they have to be people? Do, do the NPCs no. have to be quest givers? It, no, they, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It could, be, it could be a bloody book that that is on the side of the road it could be it could be a, a dismembered arm it could be a, a forest fire making it could be its a way forest to the fire town. making its way uh which i've done and the druid wasn't happy with that campaign um uh yeah yeah um you could it could it could be any list of things it could be a uh family heirloom that was stolen and and uh the entire family was murdered and mm -hmm. the only thing like they can't find is this heirloom, so go find the heirloom. Yeah. Right? So when we say quest givers, we don't necessarily mean people. We just mean those plot hooks to lead to the yeah. quest. I, I really like the simple answer of the corpse in the middle of the road with the piece of paper in their hand. <laughs> right? Like It's, it's fun it's, if you've never played it before. Yeah. This is what I keep coming back to when I yeah. say, like, I'm going to be the voice of the noobs. And it's like, yeah, there's some tropes that have been overdone and overdone. For some people, yes. You may never have played the corpse in the road, and you'd be super excited if you see it. Oh, okay, I, all right. So hold on. Let's talk real quick about what the other opening tropes are. There's corpse in the road. There's tavern. What else do we have? Festival. Uh, Festival. You, have the, you, have, you do have the man running into the tavern or wherever screaming that whatever's happened. So this is the obvious yeah, quest yeah. giver. Yeah. Um, either a buggy, boat, uh, a literal in, jail cell, something. Waking up in like jail. Waking up in jail and you're on your way to either be executed or thrown into a more secure jail. Mm -hmm. Shipwreck. Or something. Shipwreck. Shipwreck is, is a pretty famous one. Um, uh, I The one that I've seen more than once... Uh, strangely, has been the um, the evacuation of the town, right? Yep. Where the town, for whatever reason, is uninhabitable. Everybody just hits the road, and you're walking along, and you start off protecting refugees. You're on an escort mission for the first mm -hmm. three or four sessions. Yep. Like I've seen that a few times. Um, but so those are the stereotypes. They will all hit pretty much a basic idea of NPCs that you'll meet, even if it's a corpse. You're going to meet that NPC and you're going to get some flavor off of them about who they were. And they may have a note to their beloved whatever. So you have a couple of touchstones. You give a shit for mm -hmm. some reason. Yep. Um, and you have your, your quest that's been given. Your inciting incident, whatever it is. Um, your characters have met each other. What else checks those boxes? What are some... I like two each. What, what are some unique... Uh, starting oh, locations. I got one that I like because I think quite often we go in media res and we go mid battle. Yeah, I like the idea of post battle immediately, and I and I tell you why I like this. You you tell your story of, of whatever's happened while this battle's going on, 
Post battle immediately because you're going to have few remaining people. So you're going to have critical NPCs. You're going to have the party itself yeah. who are meeting for the first time. You set the tone for the world because everything is scorched and on fire because this world is riddled with dragons. Yeah. Uh, so you And you, you have the quest givers because whatever happened in that battle has happened for a reason. And something else is going to happen afterwards because of it. Either the good guys won or the bad guys won. Either yeah. way, it's going to matter. Yep, yeah. yeah. exactly. And which side do you want? Are we the good guys? Are we the bad guys? So it's a very interesting, exciting way to start a campaign. And it covers all the bases. Go. Okay, cool. Uh, do you want to go next? Or? No, you go ahead. All right. Um, the one that... Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cheat. I say, besides Tavern, uh, can I go to an inn? But the way that I want to start... <laughs> I keep waiting for Terry to have a mouthful of water before I say something stupid. <laughs> that what I ran out of water, so I'm moving to this water. Can I start an inn? Uh, you almost got me. You almost got me. I didn't, you think, you gonna, I didn't think he was going to say it again. <laughs> so um, the thing... I want to start uh, my next campaign that I'm starting a brand new world the whole thing I'm already kind of working on ideas in my head is going to start off with a bunch of people in an inn and they're total strangers they don't know each other and a god appears to them while they're sleeping and you know this this is before they can even do anything you start off the god appears in your dream wakes you up and is sitting at the foot of your bed and says I need you to do a thing for me look for these following people they are destined to follow this quest with you in order to do this thing for me. So instead of starting off with who are the NPCs and what's the quest and who's the who are the other players, whatnot, I start it right off with here's the bad guy and here's what you need to know. Go. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you have divine favor. So now your clerics and paladins and anybody else, your your divine soul, you have a god. Like you've already introduced this pantheon in, and you have a touchstone, and now you're you're hunting temple to temple. It's more of a religion side or religion skewed version. Of, of a standard campaign. I really want to start that way. Yeah, you're in a tavern, but you're not downstairs drinking at the bar, mm -hmm. right? You are at, like, in your room at two in the morning by yourself, and you just, bam, wake up. And maybe you're traveling with your kids, and you're like, so you're going to live with your aunt and uncle for a while because daddy's got to go off on this quest. <laughs> like, whatever it is, you have different things to, to do. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a unique way that I would start because it's going to hit all of those touchstones, and it immediately forces your players to then meet for the first time yeah. and be like, okay, who are you and why are you important? Exactly. Yeah. So, Dan, do you have? Uh, I, I, I've always liked the idea of, I, I know I said festival earlier, but um, find like some sort of stupid festival game and all your players are starting in that situation at the same time. The greased like, up pig. Catch the greased pig. Yeah. So your entire party, I don't care what you are, you're a wizard, you're a rogue, you're a barbarian, you're a paladin, you're a cleric, I don't care. You're all in a pit without armor, without weapons, and there's a grease pig go, right? And and you have to figure out ways to use the environment of this pig pen. I love that. To or, come together as a party, and then and then have some, you know, like oh, and then some dude got shot in the back of the head while he was giving you your prize, and an arrowhead pops out of his mouth while he's handing a medal. Or it's melee like, tournament or something where it's or combat melee based, yep. but it's non-lethal combat. Yep, yeah, I love that. Awesome. My second one is because you kind of just twisted something like the town, the town festival. I want to twist something else, which is the shipwreck. I always wanted to uh, start a campaign with uh, the, the ship is being wrecked, but you are not landing on the beach. The ship is sinking, and you are on the ship, and you start underwater. 
That's what is happening here. There's a few bodies around you because how many rounds do you get? You can hold your breath for so long. You get say, six rounds. There's NPCs around you. You have a job where you need to save them. So, so you're really starting your players in the deep end, huh? Yeah. Oh, Dan. Boo. That was, that was a little fishy, Dan. But there's a call to action. I got one. <laughs> there's a call to action. You're going to die in one minute. There's NPCs that you need to save. You must work together, and there's ways out of this. They don't necessarily need to die straight away and be like, that was a great 20-minute session. Mer folk can come, or yeah. from here they can be washed on the beach. Uh, but I don't think you necessarily need to wake up on the beach. You can wake up in the thick of it. Okay. All right. Um, my second one is, we've all seen The Hobbit. We, we've read The Hobbit. We, we know The Hobbit. That that starts off with a... Um, a once upon a time a lot like many years in the past mm -hmm. when i was this i met these people and it starts off in a character's home yeah mm -hmm. and other players are just knocking on the door right like that's i would start that way i would say that hey you know what you're sitting uh, around a campfire with someone that you just met and you dan are sitting around a campfire and you terry and terry you're a tiefling and dan you're dragonborn and you guys are best friends and you've been out in the road forever and these are not the characters you've made and I'm like, and you sit down with the wise and old wizard who says, so my name is, and then I pick the character's name that Dan actually made. And my name is this. I'm an old man. Let me tell you the story of the most harrowing adventure I've ever been on. I was sitting at home one day. When? All right. And then you start that. And now we flash back into our... And you can start anywhere then, right? Yeah, you yeah. Because on the road. You yeah, know, and yeah it's you don't have a party coming together. You have one person telling a story of what happened next, right? Yeah, that that's that's your way of the name of the wind. That's your hobbit. That Like a couple great uh, fantasy books start off that way too. Now, it's a bit of a railroad to start it. It is. Because yeah. you as the DM are going to be like, Oh, okay, Dan, your character's doing this. He's at home. What is he doing? And then Dan's just going to wander around as his old dwarf. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, and you're reading a book. And you're finished the book and you're on the chamber pot. And after the chamber pot, you are over in the kitchen making dinner. And there's a knock on the door. Terry, your character comes in, right? Um, without waiting for, for Dan to, to answer the door, <laughs> right? Why? And then I'm handing out scraps of paper, maybe, with plot hooks or whatever it is. But I've started a campaign in such a way that a tavern isn't needed. I'm still hitting my, my NPCs of, of, of Terry is technically an NPC telling, to, as far as Dan's concerned. Yeah. Right? To, um, but he's also introducing himself. I come from this area. I come from this land. This is, it takes a little bit more prep work from session zero. Um, and you got to get people all on the same page early from a meta perspective. Yeah. But I think that's a really good way to bring people in. Yeah. Um, especially if, uh, you know, Terry knocks on the door and he doesn't wait. He just falls in, slams the door behind him, and an axe starts knocking the door down. He's being chased by marauders of whatever, yeah. right? Now you have your call to action and all of your other stuff. You can hit your, your big important points. But that's how I would do that, that's why I would do probably a one-off yeah. or something short. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, please help me. I'm being chased. And then those two go outside. But then two other witnesses are there. And now there's four of you trying to chase off this one. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to call this one the Squire. Um, and it will require a little bit of assistance from one of your players. Squire is my second favorite sex position. Yeah. Oh, other than the purple trombone. Uh, oh, whoa. Oh, night whoa. and day from the purple trombone. It was the purple saxophone. You guys are just terrible. You are bad people. Oh, <laughs> anyways. Purple uh, trombone. I I would talk to one of your players that you trust be beforehand and like build this party that is slightly more powerful versions of the characters they're making, and have. 
their characters be played as NPCs, give your players, you know, these slightly more powerful versions of their characters, and then run a small little, like, magnesium flare encounter where the four of their uh, uh, knights, the, the four of their mentors, die, and now you're playing your four characters who are all picking up the mantle and trying to make it, trying to do this mission afterwards, right? Like, yeah, that's have, cool. Have something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's but, different. Yeah. I would never thought of that. Um, the, and it gives it gives your players a little taste of here's what you're going to be able to do, yeah. right? And, and I mean, if if one of them's a wizard and you drop a level twenty wizard in front of them, that's going to be rough. Make it a level five wizard. No, make it a level twenty. That, that's just gonna toy with them. Yeah. Well, the thing is, then you have a guy sorting through what uh, we're level fourteen, and you get what eighteen spells as a cleric at this level. Like uh, it, yeah. it's there's so much information you're gonna that's get. Fair. You're gonna get a bit of analysis. Make them level five. And then your rest of your party's level one. That's enough of a lead where you'd have a squire at level five, right? I think that would be really exciting for new players as well. Kind yeah. of like, look what's down the road for you. Uh, here's a little taste. And now I'm going to pull that out from under you, and here you go. Yeah. Right? It, it's the Final Fantasy VII. You're walking in, and you're destroying stuff right off the bat. And then, yeah. oh, yeah, no, you're going to wake up, and now you're yeah. level one again. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VI starts that way, too. Yeah. I think that's a standard trope in a lot of video games. Yeah. I mean, God of War... Yep. Does that, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the the other thing for a DM to really think about, after session zero is done, and you're looking at who your your potty, your potty, your potty members. <laughs> Peter. And this is why he doesn't do accents, ladies so, and gentlemen. No, but that's just inspired me to learn a new accent. <laughs> so uh, when you're looking at your at your party members, and you realize that they're all arcane casters, or they're all divine casters, or no one has magic. If they've all like clumped over into one kind of aspect of the D and D landscape, as far as character building goes, yep. um, start thinking about what can you do with all divine casters. Do you start off with a temple, or maybe um, the archbishop is called all of the uh, leaders of the temples into one area, and it got bombed, right? And now you are sitting there by yourself. You hear about this and you have to quest in. And you start off in the wreckage of this bombed temple meeting the other divine casters. Yeah. Right? Or maybe there's a wizard's contest to see who's good enough to be his second in command. Or to be the person that he's going to inspire. And all your arcane casters showed up. And the wizard chooses an NPC. And you guys are just the dejected assholes sitting in the pub afterwards going, man, I could have made something of myself. <laughs> I like that. That, that sounds like fun, fun, actually. Right? So, and then, you're, then your mission is to get back at that wizard and become powerful enough to yeah, take him out. He becomes the big bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually fantastic. I would That's love to do great. that. He ends like, up being a dark a, wizard. A warlock, a warlock, a wizard, a... Uh, um, an arcane trickster, an arcane an trickster, an eldritch knight, like all sitting in the party together. Yeah, yeah. And you should meet the person that won later on in the campaign, and they hate their job. Oh yeah, <laughs> the hours are terrible. <laughs> so yeah, there. So there are many different ways of coming at this. This, this session one is really what we're talking about here. Yeah, different ways to prep it. Um, but there's some real basics. I'm just going to wrap it up. There's some real basics to think about. Um, and that is, do you do the prep work early and recycle things? Are you going to railroad? Are you going to start with an in-media res moment? Are you going to allow the the players to kind of make their own decisions? Or are you going to force them into a session one? I guess the three big takeaways for me... Uh, actually, I'll ask you guys. What's, what's the big takeaway for you after this one? 
that we all have different opinions. You could do whatever you want. Uh, in the end, <laughs> no, uh, in the end, um, whatever prep style you go with, you just have to make, you just have to know that there's no right or wrong way. It has to be comfortable for you, and you have to find a way to make it work. But you have so many different options, so don't ever feel like there's the right way to do it. Yeah, there's different ways to do it. We've all given you different examples of how we can make all of these different ways work. Just make sure that you're comfortable with it. Your players are engaged with what you want to do because you covered it in session zero and that however you bring them together makes sense and it works. Yeah. For me, it would be uh, DMs, engage your players in the world building process. Yeah. Get their input, get their insight. If, if they want to have some random NPC that, it, that you didn't have planned before, throw that NPC in. Like... Bring them into the process, and players trust your DMs in this process because it's hard, and they are trying to hit your story points, but they're also trying to hit the other five people at the table. Help them help you. Help them help you. Okay, uh, my three big takeaways, as I started to say earlier, uh, one was uh, communication is so important. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right from the beginning. And I think that we put that across very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um so, yeah, right from the beginning, though, you as a DM need to be clear about what this campaign is going to be. And you as players need to be clear about what kind of player you're going to yeah. you're gonna play. And if that changes, that's fine. I have been in campaigns where players have retired their character because they're just bored of them. Mm-hmm. And that's, yep. that's cool, rolling someone else. You don't need to die. You're not married to a... To a character right yeah so somebody actually reached out to me today about that there was it was a dm um, essentially asking how they can stop their player from doing that and i kind of said to them no if like if this is a really big deal to your player it's yeah it doesn't need to be a big deal yeah let them go but reserve the right i would reserve the right to then use that pc as an npc now absolutely right so yeah it does you don't need to kill them off yeah. They yeah. can just. We're leave. coming up to a point in this campaign pretty quick that we're playing right now where that might be a reality with my character, Ooh. right? Like we're coming to a point where he's coming to a very natural end to his storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, I might be rolling someone new Maybe. for this, right? So. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was one. Uh, two is have multiple options. Whether you are throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks, or you're prepping a bunch of stuff ahead of time, um, and uh, and seeing which direction that they're going to go in. Whatever it is, have that prep work done, and and don't be afraid to justify things after the fact. Even though that's not my way, Dan, I think that's going to work for a lot of people. Yeah. Especially when you get caught blindsided by players, which will happen, right? Where you are going to have to say, "Oh yeah, you, I gave the the big bad evil guy this amazing weapon. You guys killed him fifteen sessions too early and stole his weapon." Mm-hmm. It's a cursed it's item. A cursed <laughs> item. <laughs> Everybody knows what's going on. Unless you're a really new player, in which case you're like, oh, what rotten luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the last thing is don't be afraid to start with the action, even though typically you don't in your standard D&D campaign. Yeah. Don't be afraid to, but be aware of what you've missed by doing that and know that you have to go back and hit those points. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, anything else, guys? Not for me. I'm good. All right. Uh, this has been episode 12, world building. Um, and next week, barbarians. Next week, we're going to talk about barbarians. <laughs> 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 which means Terry's going to just look unimpressed while Dan giggles for. Oh, it's going to be hour. so good. <laughs> Name of our sex tape. Oh, it's going to be so good. No. High five. Terry, no. yes. Terry looks unimpressed while Dan giggles for an hour. <laughs> Uh, an, an hour's hour. being Thank generous. You. Thank yeah, you. No, no, I'm taking it. All right. Uh, and thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. Thank you.